Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops and throughout the series we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup will be heading to our shores for the first time to showcase the best women's hoops in our region. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. I'm just going to go back to my participation piece. I think getting girls engaged at a really young age and getting that participation rate of girls to get it closer to 50-50 with boys, I think that's going to be the biggest piece, you know, and then figuring out how we keep kids engaged after, and kids in general, like boys and girls, keep them engaged from that 15 to 18-year-old um, space. In a first for us, we're thrilled to be joined by two of the elite leaders in women's hoops, BA's Head of Women in Basketball and Hoops legend Lauren Jackson, as well as FIBA Women's World Cup Opals Captain Tess Magin. Lauren and Tess both give us an update on their respective recoveries and where they're at, as well as sharing their passion and the reasons why for the She Hoops program. She Hoops is a bold vision led by LJ, offering training and courses for women to enhance, connect and extend their involvement in all aspects of basketball, with the aim of increasing the participation of girls and keeping them involved, whether it's through playing, coaching, officiating or through any of the other pathways available. The recent bronze at the FIBA Women's World Cup, along with a groundswell of fan support, has further motivated LJ and Tess to share the joys and benefits for girls participating in basketball. During this formative phase, with the support and involvement of leaders like Tess, She Hoops is already growing our grassroots community for future generations. And as word spreads, to quote LJ, in terms of potential, it's limitless. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and Jacinta today, it's a special one. We've got a couple of names that are pretty well known in basketball. We're being joined by Tess Magin shortly, and currently we've got Lauren Jackson on the line with us. Lauren, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's kind of a really interesting thing that we were going to be talking about today, about she hoops. Yeah. And it seems to me that this is uh, an initiative that's got so much going for it, so much potential. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I get a feeling that not enough people know about it. Yeah. When we get into this, but can you give us an idea of how the whole concept of She Hoops came about? Absolutely. Um, she Hoops was basically born out of some funding that was given to Basketball Australia for Legacy for FIBA World Cup. And um I guess the idea was to try and reach as many women and girls in basketball as possible, and it was during COVID, so there was, like, very little travelling, and I guess the idea came up to sort of build, like, 
a platform that was, you know, dedicated to women and girls in basketball to be a bit of an education hub to connect women from grassroots um, right through to the elite and basically provide just an opportunity for for women to connect and um, empower themselves through through educating each other and yeah it was a great sort of idea but I think in terms of where it's gone now and what we're doing it's definitely taken a life of its own so it's it is really exciting I think but you're right we don't have there's not a lot of visibility of she hoops at the moment we've got to do more internally around marketing it and promoting a lot of the good stuff that we're doing but I think in the coming months that is going to happen fairly organically because we're starting to um out a little bit and get into communities um running holiday programs and a scholarship program which um, should be launched in the second half of this year and then also an Indigenous program. So there's quite a lot of stuff happening and, and the fact that we're actually going and doing stuff in communities and really getting the, the She Hips brand out there is really helpful. Yeah, because during the WNBL, the, the recent WNBL season, there were a lot of advertisements for She Hoops that, mm -hmm. that were there during the halftime break particularly and also there was a lot of a lot of highlighting of programs that were happening during that period. Mm -hmm. How did you find the reaction to, to that was? Oh, look, I think people are excited about it. But like you said before, there's just not a, a lot. People don't really know what it is. And unless um, you're actually going to the website, we don't really have a social media presence. At the moment, I think we've only got sort of sixteen or 1,700 followers on Instagram. And they're pretty much the people that are registered to be a part of, you know, online um, sort of leadership mentoring training that we've had. But the platform, the, the She Hoops Learning um, site, that's, you know, it's got a lot of tangible education pathways, you know, particularly for women who haven't gone to university and haven't upskilled in certain areas. Like there's a lot of a really great opportunity to get in there and sort of learn how to, to do, you know, budgeting or, you know, event management or marketing and things like that, networking. So just basic skills that um, people can use in, in everyday world. And um, so I think we have to do a better job internally at Basketball Australia of promoting it. And we are, we're working a lot on that at the moment. And fortunately, we've got some more resources into She Hoops uh, as of the beginning of May, which is fantastic. And like I said, I think it will happen organically because we will be getting out into communities and, um, you know, really selling the brand, so to speak. I like that She Hoops targets, you know, obviously as the name suggests, female athletes. And like you said, a really great way to link grassroots female basketball to the elite. Because interestingly, now you mention it, that was probably something that was really missing. And is there a possibility of using She Hoops as a way to even have uh, females, you know, in their teens, 20s, 30s plus to get involved in basketball for the first time? Because it's great, you know, we have lots of stuff supporting juniors as a kid, but sometimes I feel like when females in particular get of a certain age and they feel like they've missed out, there's some reluctancy to go and try. Yeah, absolutely. I think She Hoops has the opportunity to really do a lot of that stuff. I, initially when it was built, the focus was on administrators, coaches and officials and trying to get more women involved in those areas and provide sort of pathways, inspiration, empowerment, trying to get into those areas. 
I think now we're sort of morphing into more participation, you know, in this in those areas in coaching, refereeing, administrating, but um, also trying to keep girls involved in basketball at a young age and keep them going through that drop off age. So between sort of fifteen and and eighteen. So like trying to figure out how we can keep them involved in the sport and provide just an opportunity for them to connect with one another and and I guess be empowered by the sport when they're not feeling that way. So I think there's a lot that we can do, but yeah, it's it does come down to resourcing. It does come down to obviously having a plan of targeting people and and trying to make that a you know an opportunity and option. Now, while we were doing some research for this, we noticed you've got a jobs board as well, which is really great because the roles that are there are are what I think people wouldn't see as traditional basketball roles if they're looking at from outside the sport. Mm. So is that part of the direction to try and get people involved across all areas of the sport? Yeah, it is. And when we first launched She Hoops, we went to the states and territories and, you know, told them about it, um, presented to them what it was to try and get buy-in, you know, from all the states and territories. And people were very supportive of it. And I guess a part of of that is this jobs board and making sure that we're just bringing all the resources into one place so that women can access them you know, very easily. And that, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. It's, we're trying to promote that. There was an Instagram post on a story yesterday just around the jobs board. Like, do you know that you can actually find jobs in basketball here across Australia? So that's some of the great work that the the team has done. Um, But we want to, you know, obviously provide every opportunity for people to stay involved, get involved and just enjoy the sport really. And I like that it's not limited to uh, jobs in female basketball or, you know, roles just for females or even uh, able-bodied basketball because you've listed sites, you know, you've listed the intern coach position with the NBL team Illawarra Hawks being a men's league. But, you know, just posting it on there saying, hey, you know, this isn't just for men because it's a men's league. That's for yeah. anybody. And you've also got Wheelchair Sports Australia listed as well. Sorry, New South Wales, not as there. Um, so I really like how there's really plants the seed in people's minds of the thinking outside the box of different pathways to, like you said, keep involved in the sport in some way. Yeah, that's part of it. I think, you know, women and men obviously coexist in day-to-day society and I you, we want to encourage participation across all levels of the sport, gender aside. So it is, um, like I said, it's a great opportunity to really connect with the community. We do definitely have so much more to do and achieve on that platform. And, um, you know, in terms of potential, it's limitless, but we just have to figure out how we're going to reach the masses. And it's, you know, it's not easy. Now, I remember hearing you speak about women's basketball and she hoops some time back. And one of the things that you really focused on was having data-driven initiatives. Mm-hmm. What sort of data and, and information have, has the team for She Hoops used to be able to drive the direction that you're taking? And also, what were the interesting parts of the information that you found through that data process? That's an ongoing um, and evolving sort of process. At the moment, we're focused pretty solely on participation. And I guess probably the most interesting part about that was that you know, in terms of like boys and girls, literally they're dropping out of the sport at the same age, at the same rate. It's just that less girls are participating from the start. So 
right now we're trying to figure out ways in which we can get more girls participating, particularly from Aussie Hoops age and keep them engaged in the sport. I think that's probably in the last sort of six months that for me has been probably the most important one because we've been trying to work through these holiday programs and ways to get girls involved and get them to try basketball, you know, in Aussie Hoops or you know, in any type of organisation. Because I think even in Aussie Hoops, participation is so low uh, of girls. And it, I've got my kids going here in Albury and there's maybe two or three, you know, little girls in their class and the rest are boys. And I watched my son as well, Lenny, he's four years old and um, he's just, he's got the most soft, gentle, beautiful heart, but he is a heavy-handed, thick four-year-old kid. He'll pin a six-year-old down. He's got no problems getting in there, getting dirty, but it's it's intimidating for the little girls, you know, and it's, I was watching him on Monday thinking, this is like, this is actually the problem. Because <laughs> boys just go out there like, rah, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get that ball. And the little girls are like, ah, you just threw the ball at my head or you're diving on the ball to get it. And you're knocking my knees out from under me. So it's sort of, it is intimidating and it's hard. And I think that's a cultural piece that we have to sort of work on. And figure out ways to overcome and give girls the opportunity to participate without feeling that way. In terms of data at the moment, that's probably the one that I'm so focused on right now, but it is an evolving thing. And as we, like I said, as we get more resources involved in She Hoops, and at the moment I've got a great project manager, she's very much focused on that stuff and, um, you know, the future direction of where we go. Now, did the whole program get a bump out of the Women's World Cup? Yeah, so it was born out of legacy funding, yeah. Did you find that you had uh, a bounce in interest after the Women's World Cup because of the performance and obviously, you know, the Opals getting bronze? Did you notice that there was a, a, a correlation between interest in she-hoops and, and women's basketball coming out of the back of the, the tournament? We definitely, some of the programs that we ran, um, particularly with Sandy and Graffy and then Karen Bryant in April, we we had a lot of participants. We had a lot of people registered for that. I think, again, like I said, it is about visibility and it's about gaining some momentum, you know, with the programs that we're running, getting people involved. Um, the WNBL definitely, you know, they had, they picked up audiences. We've had people, more people coming to games. It was, you know, a great, by all accounts, it was a great season. But in terms of what we're doing with She Hoops, it's, you know, like I said, it's a growing thing. It's, you know, day by day. And the other hard part for She Hoops last year was because I was playing, you know, a lot of my time, the last sort of eight months was playing um, and working and trying to manage life and everything else. And I haven't really been able to get back and drive She Hoops for what it needs um, until sort of April this year when I got out of the WNBL season and back on my feet post-injuries. And Speaking of the injury, how are you going? My injuries. <laughs> but maybe we should frame it as recovery, which sounds yeah. positive. Look, that was um, brutal. Uh, so I broke my foot in December and thought it was arthritis. I sort of got told it was arthritis. So in my head I was like, if I'm going to keep playing, this is my life now. So I sort of like figured out in my head I could handle the pain and get through it. But after each game, like, I mean, I couldn't sleep. I could barely walk the next day. It would take sort of 48 hours to get back on my feet. Anyway, I went back to the doctors in January and I was like, I need, you know, something. I need 
something for my foot because I can't really do anything on it. And they were like, well, just get a scan. And they got the scan and yeah, it was a Liz Frank fracture and I'd like ruptured a ligament in my foot and stuff. And I was just like, I knew it. I bloody knew it. And I should have pushed, you know, earlier on, but I didn't. But by that time I'd played for three weeks already and I was kind of like, well, I can't just stop now because I it was obviously I had to have surgery on it. Um, if I had have known, I would have had surgery on it straight away. So I decided to keep playing and then I ruptured my Achilles on my right foot in that big game. Yeah, that was brutal. It was honestly, it was the most painful kind of six months. It was very traumatic. So I think that's why I've sort of been slow on saying I'll play again or anything because I'm kind of like, Physically, I know I'll get back. I'm in great shape. I'm running again. I'm jumping. I'm doing all that stuff. But in my head, I'm like, like, do you really want to go through all that again? But and there's a part of me that's like, but if you don't do it, you like, you're wasting time. You know, I don't know. It's hard when you love something so much. But it was quite traumatic. But I'm good. I'm good now. That's the truth. Yeah, it's like the payoff between uh, yeah going through rehab and the slow process again to get back on court versus the potential regret of always living with the regret of, oh, I didn't give it another crack. Well, that's it. And then the other day, like, you know, I'm obviously back home and, you know, I work, I pick up the kids, I take them to Aussie Hoops, you know, the next day's piano lessons, the next day's whatever. And it just occurred to me that, you know, in, in a year or two, I'm going to be doing this every single weekend for the rest of my life with my kids. Well, for, you know, for the next sort of 10 years. So if I don't enjoy my time now and do what I want to do right now, I'm never going to get it back. Like, even if, you know, in three years, I'm in the best shape of my life, I'm not going to be able to do it because it's going to be about them. So, so there's a lot going on upstairs at the moment, trying to figure out which way I go, but yeah, who knows? You'll be a basketball mum. <laughs> I will be. I'm very excited about that. I am. I can't wait to take the kids, you know, all around New South Wales and do it all. Yeah, Southern Junior League, you know, the way yep. to Illawarra and, yeah, hanging hanging with the, the teammates in the, you know, three-star accommodation. Mm, that's it. And I, I sort of I said to my mum, I was like, because, well, mum said, well, are you going to try and coach or what are you going to do? And, and I... I said, well, maybe I'll try and coach the boys. And she was like, well, you, you can't. You're too hard on them. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're fine with everyone else. You're fine in NBL1 coaching. She's like, but you're too hard on your kids. You, you just can't do that. You can't be a parent and, and talk to kids like that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're too hard on them. You can't coach them. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even notice that myself. But anyway. I'm going to ask you what type of basketball mum do you see yourself as? Would you see yourself being team manager? No. <laughs> no, well, I'm a bit of a glossy boots. <laughs> I think, look, I think I would be a good coach for them. I think with me, though, it's more because Harry's, he loves basketball, you know, he's really into it and so is Lenny, but Harry's just obsessed and he, but he's a bit soft. Like, you know, he, he's just a little boy and he everything hurts. But it's true, though, he's growing really fast, so his shins are sore and his bones are sore all the time. And he's like, it's for me, I'm just like, come on, mate, you know, you've still got to, you've got to get up, you've got to go do stuff, you've got to move. And and so maybe I am a little bit tough on them, but, you know, you got to be. you got to <laughs> grow into, like, big, strong men. they they got to be. I feel like it's uh, grandparents will be hard on their kids, but then when on their grandparents, 
kids, they're like, oh, no. That's exactly so the case because my parents were bloody so hard on me growing up. I'm not necessarily like in front of people, but they were hard on me at home. And I watch the way that they treat my kids and I'm like, where was that love and affection when we were growing up? Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So it sounds to me like you've got, you're juggling so much, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The kids, your rehab, work, everything else that's going on. I'm really curious, how do you juggle everything to be able to to give everything the time that it it needs? Well, you know, it's easy at the moment because because I'm at home. My job is three and a half days a week. So I'm actually in all three days a week. I'm not working full time. So I'm able to sort of spread the week out over the week. I work every day. I can sort of get my rehab in early in the morning when I drop the kids off. And then, you know, working's easy. You just work and you plan and you you do what you do. So it's great. It's It was more during the WNBL season. It was really hard because... Um, I was lucky that we trained out there at SBC because that's where our offices are. So I was able to sort of train and then get out there to work, do a few meetings and stuff. But I was just absolutely wrecked by the end of it. So it's it's actually a lot easier at the moment. But, you know, and, and like I said, too, we've got a new resource with She Hoops, which is fantastic and definitely driving it to where it needs to go. And, yeah, I just, you know... <laughs> make time. I'm really lucky too. My parents, they live right here. So we live next door to each other and um, they help out hugely with the kids, especially when I have to travel for work and um, get to, you know, Canberra, Sydney and things like that. Now, one of the things I wanted to, to touch on was during the WNBL season, when you were out playing, the number of people that came out to watch you play. Now, I, I know we saw at the Key Centre when you when Southside came to play Sydney, there was just this huge queue of people waiting for autographs, big crowd. How do you find that sort of reaction from the crowd? Oh, it's it's so special. Like, I don't think when I was sort of in the midst of my career and, you know, in my 20s and 30s, it was kind of, you know, it was just what it was. Like, it, you know, I, I took it all for granted, you know, and I think when you retire, you um, – get humbled, you know, in a lot of ways. And then having to work with BA and sort of see the other side of the sport, I guess it gave me like a really different perspective on being an athlete and and the inspiration that we can be to these kids and, and provide. So when the opportunity came around to play again, I honestly, I didn't think that would be the response. I, I never thought that it would be like that, but it was just really, it was so special, you know, and I felt really kind of on it I guess it was just it was magic you know and then the other part of that too was after each game my foot was so damn sore I just wanted to sit in an ice bucket for 20 <laughs> minutes and numb the hell out of it um so but yeah it was awesome I mean the reception was incredible and um yeah beyond anything that I could have imagined for sure okay now we've been joined by Tess Magin Tess Great to have you here. And before we get back to to She Hoops, I've just got to ask one question. This is more for the fans uh, and who listen to the podcast. Uh, We just need to know, how tough is Sammy Mack on you? On you, LJ? Yeah. I thought you were talking to Tess. Um, Sammy on me, he... um, He's hilarious. He's my best friend. So to be able to go through this journey on the last two years with him, 
he has been like such a massive support and yeah i would never have got back to where i was if it wasn't for him coming out and training and doing the one-on-ones and stuff with me because like there was no one else to train with here so he um yeah gosh he's just been incredible and it's i think for him too like just being able to do this together like well he watched my journey as an athlete like back when and supported me you know as a mate or whatever but like to actually get out there and train with me and just be a part of it has just been incredible and yeah i love that guy he is he's such a good honest human and it's just yeah he's my best mate we have to give him a shout out knowing that you are going to be one of our two guests today. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's the best. I think training with you as well, LJ, uh, has kind of brought up some feelings for Sammy as well that he wants to hit the court. So we need to start some kind of movement in order to get a state league team going for back to get back out there. I think we've got CBL. I think he played that last year. It's during the WNBL season. Um, but we, Sam and I, we played mixed basketball here before I started training again. And I mean, I, I reckon I was about 120 kilo and <laughs> it would take us six days to recover after those games. <laughs> but that was funny. We had, yeah, it's been awesome. Like I said, it's been such a great journey to have him and he's just been pushing me, you know, and in a good way like he just knows me well enough to you know sort of be able to get under my skin without pissing me off too much (laughs) okay tess it's great to have you here thank you for having me uh the the recently sydney bound tess imagine yeah yeah that's massive yeah i'm super pumped um i just wanted you know to solely focus on being a professional basketballer i think i was having to get a a number of income sources um, and it was kind of being injured. I was just like, I've only got a limited time left in my career that I would like to play and I just want to solely focus on being the best basketballer I could be. And then, you know, when Guy Malloy got the interim head coach job, hopefully, you know, he gets the head coach job. Having an opportunity to play for him again, you know, I couldn't really pass it up. So I guess all the stars kind of aligned and um, I really like what, Poops Capital are about. Um, I love what the ownership group's about. I love what the president, Victoria, is about. The general manager, Chris Pongrass, obviously Paul Smith, who LJ's quite good friends with. You know, everything they've said and all their actions so far have aligned. And I'm super pumped to get up there. And they're very confident that Sydney can have the best women's program in Australia. So obviously the men are doing great things there. And I can't wait to get, you know, the women on par. Awesome with something we're definitely going to be looking forward to. Yeah, I'm I'm really pumped. And obviously, you know, my brother Ben played there as well. So kind of having that family legacy piece I think is is really cool and I hope to have some successful seasons like Ben did. And he's still there uh, now with the Sydney Comets as well. So the couple of times I've been to Alexandria Stadium this year, it's and you see Ben pop up, it's still kind of like, because I'm a Kings fan too for a long time, so it's still kind of like you still you still get a bit starstruck and you're like, oh, that's Ben Magic. Ben Magic. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. He would hate that. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, he's doing a really good job um, with Sydney Comets. Uh, it's definitely given me an insight into what is needed in basketball uh, to kind of grow the sport at a grassroots level. And obviously one of the main things, especially in Sydney, is we need more stadiums to 
there's a lot of people that want to play the sport, but there's not enough stadiums or, you know, game times at a really inconvenient time because there's not enough court. So it's been a really good insight talking to him about that stuff. And Sydney Comets have an NBL one team now. So he's obviously um, like LJ. It's good to have past athletes, you know, making those decisions, pushing the game forward because we really do know, obviously with help around us, where the sport's lacking and where we want it to go. So let's just take it back to the to she hoops for a minute because you obviously ran a number of of programs for she hoops. How did you find those, and how did you find the reaction from people to those programs? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Thanks, LJ, for giving me the opportunity. I think um, although I've been extremely busy the past couple of years, it has you know taught me some skills, some valuable skills that I'll be able to use post playing career. Um, I'm also studying to be a PE teacher, although that's been on hold for a couple of years now. So I've always been really passionate about physical activity, especially in young people, especially in teenagers where they tend to drop off. I love teaching people new skills. I love the light that comes in their eyes when they do something that they couldn't previously do. So the She Hoops platform has been perfect. You know, it's just as rewarding for me as it is for all the girls and boys that jump on every Monday night. You know, I still have people coming up to me saying, I run your she hoop sessions with my under 14 and 16 boys teams. And, you know, all the skills you teach are translatable. I mean, I still do them every day myself. So I wouldn't be teaching something to someone that I didn't believe in. Um, And, you know, those dribbling, shooting, footwork, they're the foundation of basketball. So we all do need to keep practicing them. And I think sometimes people forget that, you know, you can't be as good as as you want to be unless you have control of the ball and you have great footwork. So that's basically the foundation of what I try and teach at She Hoops and then obviously make it as fun as possible. I like that um, focus, especially on fundamentals and especially on footwork, because I've noticed with juniors in the last, say, five, ten years, maybe more with with boys than uh, with girls, but um, because what they see on TV, particularly NBA, they just see the Steph Curry step backs hard and, you know, all that fancy ball handling and they just go out and attempt it straight away and it's like you got to bring it all the way back to those fundamentals and foundations of good footwork, good ball handling skills, and then you can go and do a step back. Absolutely, and I think what they don't know is that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, all those amazing people that they're trying to be like practice this footwork stuff every day. You know, I follow a lot of the trainers to try and keep my basketball skills up to date. So, like Phil Handy, who's assistant coach at Lakers, um, LeBron's trainer, they're practicing this stuff every day. So, the final product is amazing what people get to watch us do, but I don't think everyone fully understands the time and effort it takes one-on-one by yourself or those unseen kind of hours to be able to do what we do and do what, you know, those professional NBA elite players are doing. Yeah, I um, we had a I'm a girl, I can do anything camp on the coast last year. So all girls camp and that's a basketball New South Wales uh, initiative. And we had some players there who typically play like Div 2 rep basketball or they were new to basketball and we were doing similar drills. And I also mentioned, you know, the the top players they, and rattled off a few names, like they do this every day and they were so gassed already. Uh, every day. It just blew their mind. It kind of was a bit of a uh, change in their perspective like, a little bit. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, before I start any session, that's the first thing I start it with so that people 
understand that, you know, it, it might seem basic, but it is so important. And until you can do that perfectly, you can't really move on to the next skill that you want to achieve. So layering those skills, especially on she hoops, we have, I try to make it, you know, interesting for a whole range of ages and challenging. So I try and layer all the skills. People can stop at whatever they're ready for, but I do try and make it as challenging as possible for those more advanced players. Just before you jumped on, I kind of touched on with LJ about um, using she hoops as an opportunity to engage some maybe like older females, like, you know, that missed the opportunity to learn basketball as a kid and want to get into it now. Have you had any... Because I also know that Melbourne Boomers were doing like the mums basketball. So have you had any contact with some new basketball players in a similar way through she hoops? Yeah, there was one um, female. She uh, she would have been about my age, maybe a bit younger. She had just done her ACL and she played Big V, so she was getting back into it. She was also a volunteer for Southside Flyers, so just a massive hoops fan. And she came up to me and she's like, I do she hoops, I love it. Like, can you train me out of you know, out of hours. So that was like super cool to hear that and that she was getting something out of it. Obviously, I didn't really have the time at, at the time to train her out of hours and then I think she broke her foot. So, nice. but yeah, that's probably the main um, one that comes to mind that really kind of, you know, and she's she's just such a great person. She does heaps for women's basketball and then to be able to give back to her was pretty cool. I'm just wondering, how much support do you guys get from the state basketball associations for the She Hoops program? Um, currently, at the moment, we're trying to collaborate a little bit more. And I think, like I said before, over the next couple of months, I think there's going to be more of an opportunity to do that, purely because we are going to be getting into the their clubs and associations to run these holiday camps. But um, there's more more of a focus at the moment to collaborate and um, do some things. And we're hoping to run a networking event at Asia Cup with BNSW, which is exciting, and potentially one with Basketball Victoria um, in August. So I think the next few months are going to be really critical for for us and where we go and, and that collaboration piece with the states and territories. Now, I know this is kind of a question of both of you, and it's it's a bit of a blue sky question. If money was no object, what would be like the key things you'd like to see happen with she hoops? Oh God, where <laughs> do I start? <laughs> um, if money wasn't an object, look, I think I'm just going to go back to my participation piece. I think getting girls engaged at a really young age and getting that participation rate of girls to get it closer to 50, 50 with boys. I think that's going to be the biggest piece, you know, and then figuring out, how we keep kids engaged after, and kids in general, like boys and girls, keep them engaged from that 15 to 18-year-old um, space. It's just I think the benefits of being in team sport, particularly in adolescence and in teenage years, it's so important for kids to have those relationships and those connections and then also build on the skills that, in my opinion, only sport can give kids, you know, and the empowerment and the mental health benefits. There's just so much that, that sport does. Um, and I think that's, it's so important during those years. That's sort of what I'm focused on at the moment. So. Absolutely. I think in a broader basketball perspective, um, LJ's the expert on she hoops, but in a broader basketball perspective, I would first and foremost get enough courts for everyone that wants to play it. And then I would 
if money's not an uh not a boundary here i would actually start paying people to coach juniors because a lot of the time i go and watch juniors you know have seven nephews and i feel bad for the parents they don't really know what they're doing and then the kids are losing interest they don't know how to run a basketball session and yes there's coaching clinics and stuff but i'm talking about people that don't even know those exist so i would pay people to coach that might not necessarily have the time but if you're getting paid you're going to make it a priority and then i'd run heaps of coaching sessions how to run trainings and i'd just be trying to upskill coaches all the time so that they know the knowledge the best knowledge that's out there that's where i would go I'm kind of glad you brought that one up because I know with my daughter's team, they are struggling to find a coach. Mm. Right, quite. Let, let's put aside the problem with with court time because that that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but you know, finding a coach who's able to to not only just drill them, but also to be able to to help them work out plays and be able to work together as a team seems to be a problem that I don't think is getting it's it's getting worse. And I don't quite understand what it is that's really driving it to get to the stage that it's at. Yeah, it is really frustrating because basketball is such a team sport and, you know, seeing kids just dribble down the the ball down the court the whole way and then just shoot a shot is not the way it's supposed to be played. So, and the skills that LJ is talking about, like that resilience, persistence, teamwork, those soft skills that you can only get really by playing a sport and basketball, obviously, where vice is the best sport to get that from. So, yeah, just seeing it played the right way, I think, would also increase, you know, people staying in the sport as well because they can see that they're getting better. They enjoy going to training. It's hard. It's challenging. Um, And then, you know, it's being played the right way on the court, so it makes it more enjoyable. And, yeah, I I think, yeah, I agree with Paul. It's a really good point to highlight, Tess, about fostering coaches and new coaches and upskilling coaches. And even going one step further, you know, paying people to be junior coaches, but then even before that, paying people to go to the coach's course, because sometimes I think that can be a little bit of a barrier as well, not always guarantee you know, what they can get out of it, availability, like that. And it will certainly, I think, um, make people a lot more accountable and maybe take a bit more pride in what they're doing. Because my, my club in particular, when we first started and back back in my day, I'll say, we were um, we were the club to beat. And over the years, we've kind of become like middle-rate, third-tier team. Unfortunately, the access to coaches and coaches who have the skill to keep developing our future athletes is probably a bit of a downfall because we always think about the pathways for players and, you know, there's certainly more investment going in our pathways for referees. So it makes sense that the the coaches need to start to catch up a bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't expect we're ever going to be able to pay coaches to coach, you know, junior level basketball. But if there was unlimited resource of money, just highlighting the fact how important it is. I think that's also why She Hoops is so awesome. It's not just for players, it's for administrators, coaches, referees. Like they're really covering everything to get women more involved in basketball, which is definitely something that I'll give all the time in the world I have for. Is there any thought of you know, developing a stream for She Hoops, which is helping identify players who want to make the step into coaching? Yeah. So, look, we haven't launched these programs officially yet, but at the moment, working on a concept, a scholarship program, which um, we've got to sort of take around 80 kids a year and give them the opportunity to, you know, learn these skills. So, like, 
put them through their coaching level zero, level one, and then I think level two, and then also refereeing, put them through the introductory course and then try and if they're not involved in playing and they don't want to play anymore, but give them the other opportunity to upskill in these other areas and try and keep them involved in the sport. And I mean, obviously the scholarship program would be more, in, there'd be more to offer in that, but that's part of it is definitely trying to um, move them into other areas of the sport that they might be interested, but never really thought about having a look at. And LJ, you mentioned before too, lots of things that I have gotten so much out of basketball myself and I'm sure our listeners are probably sick of me harping on it about how basketball is a vehicle of so many good things, like you said, mental health and a lot of those other life skills. Is there opportunity as well for She Hoops? I mean, you already offer a lot with She Hoops so far, even with She Hoops in its infancy, but do you feel like there may be opportunity to have some of those, I guess, personal development courses or resources or something that run in parallel with what uh, young people are learning from she groups too. Yeah, so that this is all part of this other program, this scholarship program that we're looking at running, um, hoping to partner with an organisation that does a lot of the work around mental health, mindfulness, resilience, accountability, yeah, a lot of that stuff. So there is obviously we're sort of branching out a little bit like I talked about before and, and trying to go into these other areas. And yeah, make a difference, you know, just um, provide these opportunities for kids and hopefully keep them more involved and keep them in the sport. Okay. Now, one other thing I'm curious about is, are you looking at other areas that are supportive of the sport? So like um, some people who might want to get into uh, media and journalism around the sport, is that something that's on the on the horizon for She Hoops as well? It's on the radar. But yeah, like I said before, I think in terms of what we've got in by way of resource at the moment, it's me and our content producer and our project manager <laughs> at the moment. So we can sort of do a couple of programs at once or build them. But that's definitely something that's been spoken about and something that we want to look, you know, more into. Absolutely. Okay. Now, the Asia Cup is, is coming up. Out of all the teams that you're going to be seeing at Asia Cup, which ones do you guys feel you're most excited to watch? Apart from the Opals. Yeah. We're all very excited to watch the Opals. I'll let you go, Tess. You know, I mean, it's a token answer, but Japan and China are always super exciting to watch. At Asia Cup, you have three of the top five teams in the world. China, unfortunately, second. Australia, third. And um, Japan, are fifth. So, yeah, that's who I would be going to watch. And then, uh, obviously, have a great relationship with Guy Malloy, who's a New Zealand head coach. And former teammate Panina Davidson and a lot of other former teammates through the Boomers over the years that have that connection with the New Zealand team. So I'm also really looking forward to watch them and hopefully see them qualify for the next stage of the Olympic qualification process. Okay, so I'm a little bit curious about one thing to do with with She Hoops. A lot of the program has done um, virtual events. Are you planning more in real life events? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that we're going to be launching in the second half of the year. But yeah, we are. So that's definitely happening. Yeah. Okay, and hopefully you'll be able to get support from other other states and and other groups to be able to to help you because obviously, as you've outlined, there's three of you at the moment, mm. which makes it a bit tough. 
Yeah, no, it does. But look, I think we're a very efficient three and we're getting a lot done. And we have got um, a states and territories working group. So we do work with them and we are in communication with them quite regularly about the things that we are doing. So, and we rely on them as well and their databases to send out information about our live events. And then obviously when we are going out um, into communities and um, doing these holiday camps and other things that we're doing, we're going to need their support. So it's absolutely pretty cool for us to get you know on board with the states and territories and work with them directly is there anything that us average joes on the ground can do more to promote she hoops i mean we try and you know keep posting the events and stuff on social yeah how can we take further Look, I think at the moment it's one of those things where I do really believe that it is quite organic. It's going to happen. I think over the next couple of months, as we do start getting the brand out there, as we do start launching these events um, and these programs that we are going to be running, I think things are going to start happening for us. But look, I think it's more just conversations. Like if you're talking to people, if you know there's an event coming up, like you know, just mention it. I think um, that's probably the biggest thing. And then we, as an organisation, we have to do better to um, make sure we're promoting it better. And like I said, it's it's just a matter of time, really. And Tess, do you feel like it's something that we can almost set up a flagship at our local club? You know, like a Saturday morning is going to be 9 to 10, the She Hoops kind of session, and then just kind of use the website and the resources as a guideline. Absolutely. I already get so much feedback that coaches already do do that. But yeah, I think the more you can get the word out there, it's such a great product. Obviously, not just Masterclass with Imagine, but the whole She Hoops website is an amazing resource. And I just can't wait to see, you know, where it goes from there. But yeah, that's a great idea to like chuck it on a big projector on one of the courts so that everyone can just come in and do a skill session. It's a lot more fun working out with other people. So although, you know, doing it live and being able to see the people doing it, being able to coach them kind of on the fly doing that is, I love doing that, but it is recorded and up on the website for a reason. So yeah, that would be a great idea. Now, if anybody who's listening wanted to get involved with She Hoops in some way, who should they speak to? Well, there's a, a feedback form on the website um, so they can go there and do that or um, just contact us directly through Basketball Australia on our email. So, you know, we're all pretty connected. People know how to sort of reach us and everything. Yeah, but first case, like if you're trying to get a hold of us, just through the website. The other thing I wanted to, I wanted to touch on, which it's one of those things that gets me as, as a father of a, of a young girl who plays the sport, how do you find ways to motivate girls, particularly when they're encountering issues like you mentioned before, LJ, where there's only a couple of girls in a squad playing and, and it's just mainly boys. Yeah, well, we're hoping that we can sort of try and bridge that gap with She Hoops by taking She Hoops into camps and things that are already running and try and add value and increase awareness around um, having girls come and participate and then just give them the confidence and the opportunity to get involved. So I think that's the first thing, you know, even like Aussie Hoop Centres and things like that, piloting all-girl programs so that kids come in and try and participate with their friends. I mean, there's a lot of um, information out there that girls, they just want to get out there and have fun. They want to have fun with their mates. They want to enjoy it. They want to smile. They want to laugh. It's not, you know, necessarily all about skill development and things like that for them. They just want to participate and enjoy it. 
So we've got to, I guess, as an organisation, as as a basketball community, come up with ways that we can help young coaches or people who are involved at community grassroots, help them um, and give them the tools and resources to go out there and just let these girls participate and have fun. That's great. LJ, I know that you've got something else that you've got to get off to. We really do appreciate the time that you've spent with us. It's been great. Hope the recovery goes well. And, you know, to be, look, to be honest, as from a personal point of view, I'd love to see you back on the court, but I get it, I get it, you know, but we all, we all would, yep. But no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But thanks so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I obviously, I love it. I love the sport and I just hope that, you know, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Cheers to Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. Okay. I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. So, Tess, I suppose we'll we'll get back to she hoops in in a minute or two. But one of the things that I was really, I think everybody was surprised by the fact that you you're coming to Sydney. You have spoken about that earlier on. How does it feel for you moving to another team, having been a long term player for you know in Melbourne? Um, I'm very goal orientated and kind of task orientated and obviously it was super sad. I think the saddest part was leaving the Melbourne Boomers Academy with all those young girls and boys, mainly girls. So that was definitely the saddest part. I built some really great relationships with them and, you know, their mums and dads. But in terms of basketball, I couldn't be more excited, to be honest. I think, you know, like I touched on earlier, I felt like I just solely wanted to be a professional basketballer and this and Sydney Flames was going to give me the best opportunity to do that. I've got an extremely supportive partner who, you know, helped me re- kind of talking to him. He kind of helped me prioritise what was important to me and that is definitely going to the Paris Olympic Games and to be able to do that, I need to have a really good WNBL season. So it basically just came down to that where I thought I was going to be the most successful, enjoy my basketball the most and just solely focus on being the best player I can be. I wouldn't still be playing basketball if I didn't think I could become a better player. As soon as I think I've kind of reached my ceiling or I'm going backwards, that'll be the day I call it quits, either mentally, physically or both. So um, I still feel like I have a lot more to improve on. And, you know, with this really solid rehab that I've had, I wanted to put myself and align all those values together and put myself in it the best place I thought I could be successful. It was um, actually really kind of a nice feeling to hear that um, Hoops Capital was supporting you to just solely focus on basketball and that they were able to give you that opportunity. It's almost a bit of a weird relief where we're like, oh, wow, there are some opportunities for our female athletes just to be like, you know, treated and have the lifestyle of a proper professional athlete without having to juggle all of the things that we, um, you know, all know too well. So when that came up in that kind of conversation of when you started to talk to Hoops Capital, um, was that something you presented to them or was that something that they offered to you as a um, way of saying, hey, come play for us and this is what we can offer? Um, not really. The uh, the offer was kind of the last thing to come. So I just really liked the sound of everything that they were about. And I, <laughs> the Taylor was like, I really hope the offer's good. Because, you know, if it was similar to Melbourne, it would have been harder to leave, even though I kind of felt like 
that's where my intuition was telling me I needed to be. So, yeah, that was just kind of a, a big relief. And definitely, you know, I would still do she hoops. I would still be doing other stuff. I, I love being busy. I'm trying to calm down a little bit. But it does, especially during season like we do, we get so exhausted. Um, we're operating at a 10 out of 10, you know, while we're on the court at practice. And then while we're around our teammates, you know, you have to be up the whole time. So to get the right amount of rest, recovery, making sure my body's 100%, well, as good as it can be throughout the season was super important to me, especially, you know, rehabbing this knee injury. So as much as injuries suck, they've always came at a really good time for me and um, allowed me to align my, you know, my values, my vision and my purpose. So I'm, I'm achieving what I want to achieve. So out of curiosity, this is something you touched on earlier and it kind of just jumped into my head. In relation to young girls... How do you find the best way to motivate them when you are doing, particularly when you're doing face-to-face sessions, as you said, in Melbourne, is there any one particular way that you find is a, is a good way to, to really start to get kids really motivated about the sport? I think keep it fun. I think with, especially when I was doing the Melbourne Boomers Academy, like they're just so excited that you're there or, you know, my teammates are there. So having that personal connection where they get to actually see their favorite players live and they're teaching them um, skills is obviously a major advantage so usually most of the kids I coach want to be there but then you know everyone's different so it's much like being a leader of a team you have to quickly kind of work out what makes people tick and you might have 100 kids you know you're only coaching probably 12 to 15 per station but you quickly have to be observant and find out what people respond better to so some people will respond better to the nurturing side you know one-on-one talking really nicely to them some people will respond better to being challenged some people will want to feel like they're really good at the skill so you have to make it easier so I think you know that is definitely I'm a very observant person and kind of pick up that stuff quite easily and I think that is really important to kind of quickly figure out what motivates each different person that you're coaching and then play to that so I think that's what makes coaching so difficult is that you do have to coach everyone differently, especially in today's day and age. You can't coach everyone the same, otherwise it's not going to work. And I think it's it's as much about coaching the person as it is about coaching the basketball or about coaching the skills. And I think the coaches that are most successful at that have the best outcomes. Is there anything from coaching uh, with she hoops or otherwise that something new that you've learned about yourself through coaching that then you can transfer into when you're a player to help you become a better player in some way? That is a really great question. Um, I think, you know, I'm not the most patient person. So it's still something I'm working on every time I get the chance. But, you know, that communication, especially like that on the fly communication and not always being you know, quite assertive or some people would call it aggressive. So that would be the probably the main thing I've learned. I, I tend to waffle on a little bit as well and I think that's what can make my communication quite assertive is that I just want to quickly get it out. So being succinct in my feedback and my cues and, you know, as a, as a veteran player in the league, as a captain and a leader, you are often required to give your teammates feedback. So that would be the main thing that's definitely helped me. And just being patient, everyone learns at different speeds. Not everyone's going to get it the same way. Being able to offer feedback in a variety of ways, yeah, would be the main thing I've taken away. And that's a very good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
So does that mean that potentially we could see Tess Madgen in the coach's chair in the future? I, I do get asked this a lot. Absolutely not. <laughs> Coaching is – would oh, I don't know who would do it. They're always so stressed. It's so much time. Like – it's time for an athlete to go to practice, train, but the coach has to prepare the practice. They have to go back after. They have to cut up all the film. You know, I saw Nikolai Jokic in a press conference the other day and they asked him the same thing, like, could you ever want to be a coach? And his answer was exactly the same as what mine always is, absolutely not. I'm also so competitive. So I'm looking forward, you know, post-retirement. Hopefully, you know, I might get the itch to feel that competitive juice, but just to chill out for a little while. And, you know, I might coach my kids. I still say that I won't even do that, but <laughs> I probably won't be able to help myself. No, not at, not at the moment, but, you know, that could change. And another pathway, you know, She Hoops is trying to provide lots of different pathways and lots of different ways females can stay in touch with the game. Um, you know, talked about coaching and refereeing and there's even jobs listed in administration and things like that. But one thing that I hope She Hoops adds, and it's something that you've dabbled in a little bit, is broadcasting. So you got to commentate some games last WNBL season. Did you enjoy it? Oh, it's really hard. I found it really difficult, especially because, you know, I love all the people, especially because it was finals. A lot of the people I have, you know, great relationships with all over the league. And because it was finals, I felt that added expectation that it had to be really good. It's what the players did deserve. So I would have liked a little warm up. <laughs> but um, no, nah, it was it was good. It was uh, after one of the calls I said to Jason Bennett, like, whoa, that's like I've got adrenaline, like I don't think I'll be able to sleep tonight. And he's like, yeah, for me, it's like the closest thing you can get to actually playing. I mean, coaching is probably very similar, would be way more similar than playing. But from just a person that's a spectator, the broadcasting did kind of fill me with that adrenaline. You know, you have to be on the ball at all times, be over everything that's happening. Um, and I found that quite difficult, to be honest. I think if it was live, I think it would be a little bit easier because, you know, you're in the atmosphere, you can you can see what's happening a lot easier when you're not getting it through the TV. So it was quite challenging, but I did also really love it. Yeah, especially for your first time, doing commentating a game on a screen can be pretty disorientating. Yeah, yeah I found, you know, when I'm watching it at home, I'm not like... When I'm watching it at home, I'm not commentating the game in my head. Like, do you know what I mean? I just make observations to whoever I'm watching it with. But that would be like, you know, once every couple of minutes. Whereas when you're commentating, you have to really just keep talking the whole time, which was all, some people find it hard to believe, but that was also challenging for me. <laughs> it is. Also, it depends as well. Like, I can imagine the challenge of doing it the first time, finals, and as well as on the screen would have been, yeah, quite a, a, a big ask. Yeah, the first game I did was LJ's game at John Kane. So that was like, I just felt sick, obviously, after the first minute, like worrying about LJ. So yeah, it was that. And then it was a finals game. So I, I feel very honoured that I did get to do both of those games. And But yeah, definitely. it's Yeah, maybe courtside presenter. That would be pretty cool, like Gacy did in Townsville. Yeah, she was awesome at it. What a great story that was. She went from courtside commentating to... WNBL champion you know that's where she deserved to be anyway playing on the court so just yeah super happy that worked out for her so you just mentioned the the John Kane game I mean watching it how did you find seeing that crowd 
and the game itself. How did it all seem to you? Well, it seemed incredible. I really wish I was there. Like the day before, I was like, can I pull out a commentating so I can actually go <laughs> be there live, uh, especially to support LJ. So it was incredible. And to go back to your question, if we had an endless amount of money, what would you like to do with it? I definitely like to play in bigger stadiums and get the games on TV in the primetime spot on the primetime channels. I think by having that that exposure front row, I know that netball, you know, bought the back page of the paper years ago, doing stuff like that so that these amazing players in our league get the media coverage and the exposure that they deserve would definitely be high up on my list of what to do. I really hope, you know, we play at a pretty awesome stadium in Sydney uh, and a lot of the games align with the Kings game. So I hope that everyone gets out there, support shows up. I know Sydney absolutely love the World Cup. I have no doubt they're going to love Asia Cup. So I'm also really excited to be back in that environment in Sydney as well. Yeah, I've got to say, we can't wait for um, for Asia Cup. So we're really looking forward to it. I think it's it's great that we've been able to get another event like that so soon after the World Cup. Yeah, I think obviously it was an amazing event, the World Cup, and I think that played a big part probably in getting Asia Cup. So massive shout out to all of those who are involved, Basketball Australia, obviously, Basketball New South Wales and the, all the marketing team, all the volunteers that put it together. It was an incredible experience. So, um, I mean, you're going to be moving up to Sydney relatively soon, I guess. Do you, have you figured out where you're going to be staying up here? Um, I haven't. I have a suburb that I'd like to be staying in. Um, the new basketball stadium for Hoops Capital has been built in Auburn. Yep. So I'm thinking Wentworth Point area. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. And Ben's up there. He lives in uh, Oatley, so it's about half an hour away. So either Wentworth Point or Homebush probably. Okay. Yeah, as close to the stadium as possible. I hate wasting my time in traffic, so <laughs> there's no way I'm living like across town oh. every day. Oh, you might have to do a little bit of a research into Wentworth Point. If I remember right, getting in and out of there, there's only one access road in and out of that suburb, which can make it really, really painful. All right. <laughs> I'll get Ben onto it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get get Ben onto it. I'm sure uh, he's probably got a bit more intel. He's been living there a little while, and also has to get to. I mean, Alexandra is sometimes a little bit tricky to get to as well because the best way to get there is by car, and then there's like no parking. Yep. Um, yeah. Hopefully, he does have some tips and tricks for you, and uh, can steer you in a better direction with your suburbs. Yeah, when I told him I was thinking about coming to Sydney. He was so excited and he messaged me like straight away being like, if there's anything I can do, like, let me know. I'll go find you a house. Like, so I'm really excited to be up there close to his family again. Everyone's kind of abandoned me in Melbourne. Jack and Ben used to live here and then one by one, they've slowly left me by myself. So um, I am super excited to get up there and be close to him again. So I'm really curious about something in relation to those programs that you've been running. I want to understand how it is you do those remote virtual programs because you're not getting, you know, that feedback that you get when you're, you're dealing with people face-to-face and you're just not getting it. So how do you find that? Because to me, that would be like really, really difficult. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I first started doing them actually during COVID when COVID was really bad um, and you couldn't, you know, leave your house. So you basically, if you wanted training, it had to be, by yourself or over Zoom. 
And so those first initial ones, they were really tough. But I think like everything else since COVID um, and kind of living this, you know, as we're doing now, you get better at it and it becomes more comfortable and you can see ways. If everyone has their video on the screen, I can quickly flick through, see them doing it, which just seeing the people do the skills does just, you know, really light me up inside anyway. But then also I can see if they're struggling as well. So I can give tips. They have their names down the bottom. And then afterwards we have, you know, 15 minutes of Q&A, which is where they can just ask me anything they want. And I think obviously I love being able to answer the questions and I think that also gives them a chance. You know, probably if I was doing a massive skills session live, they wouldn't get that opportunity to ask those questions. So I think that's that was LJ's idea and I think it's a great initiative to kind of get that human connection going that would otherwise be hard to get over a video. And also having access to the current Opal's captain, which is also not something you have uh, an opportunity to do every day. And I feel like as well when you provide those kinds of opportunities, especially even if it's just something as a Q&A, it definitely makes things more meaningful to people who are participating and sometimes that, like, uh, that, sometimes that feeling can help people stay in the sport a bit longer as well. Absolutely. And I think... Towards the end, we'd always have the same people on. And by the end of it, everyone had asked the question. And sometimes I felt like, you know, they were just waiting for the end to do the Q&A. <laughs> by the end, we, it would have to run a little bit over because they were just bombarding me with questions. LJ did it one time, the Q&A. So, yeah, it, it's such a great one hour of my week. And I, you know, do look forward to it every every week, every Monday. Have, can you remember any questions you were asked during the Q&As that caught you like really mm-hmm. off guard? Um, there were definitely some. I love like what's your most hated basketball drill, what's your favourite drill. That was super insightful though, like what do you eat before practice, what do you eat after? Like they were really trying to be the best players that they could be and I just loved that. Um, but there were some, I can't remember off the top of my head what they were, uh, but they write it in the notes the question box so if I needed a bit of extra time to think of an answer it didn't throw me off guard too much oh cool yeah so what's coming up for Tess Magin in relation to things that are going on around she hoops and basketball more widely oh good question I mean I've just been head down bum up in rehab mode so I'm back on the court basically doing everything I'd like to be doing. I just haven't had heaps of scrimmage time. So Asia Cup is hopeful still, but it's going to be like right on the line type of decision. And then, you know, I have to be at my best to obviously make an Australian team. So I've been solely focused on that. I love obviously being the captain of my country, being a leader, supporting those teammates. And we're going to have a lot of fresh new faces. So at the moment, I'm doing a lot of work, like seeing a psychologist to be the best leader I can be, doing a leadership course. Um, and I think all of those type of things help me, you know, promote women's basketball in the best possible way uh, to get more fans, to get the rest of, you know, my teammates aligned with with what we need to be doing um, in the community to make sure we're always giving back, being the best role models that we can be. And In women's basketball, I think we naturally do that anyway. We've always had to, and it comes natural to us. So the Opals group is an amazing group to be a part of. There's a lot of amazing leaders within that group, and it does make my job a lot easier. But, yeah, that's always at the front of my mind is 
projecting basketball, especially women's basketball forward and to to have it on the platform that it deserves to be in this country. I think it might not happen while I'm still playing, but hopefully eventually it does happen and I just want to make it easier for those that come after me. And interesting, like I've seen some of your rehab uh, shots on your Instagram stories and it's interesting it's still referred to as rehab because you're still lifting some pretty heavy weights and maybe that's you know, without injury and healthy, I can't lift. <laughs> yeah, I've never been this strong, especially before I got on the court. I felt like a like a weightlifter. I was pretty like totally different body shape. But now that I'm back on the court with that really solid foundation, it's definitely helping, you know, have no pain anymore. I'm doing everything that I want to be doing. Um, I just kind of need to get that game fitness back, which I absolutely is kicking my ass at the moment. So Although I mean I'm in a really I'm still in rehab I like to say but I'm in a really fun stage at the moment where I'm pretty unlimited in what I can do you know this week I've been able to do five on court sessions so all that kind of hard work that people don't often like doing as athletes you know lifting weights and the cardio sessions and um, all that type of stuff is finally paying off and I feel you know really great. What are some of the other um, alternatives to on-court sessions that you've been, I guess, prescribed to help with improving your match fitness? That's a problem. Like nothing else matches running on the court and like especially like in basketball, there's so many changes of direction and that is actually really tiresome, I found, <laughs> um, since my return. There's like running in a straight line just seems super easy compared to all the, you know, jumping, landing, shooting, cutting hard. But yeah, I, initially I was doing a lot of water running, which sucks. So I was doing anything to keep that stress out of my knee. So lots of water running, swimming, bike. Um, my strength and conditioning coach at the Victorian Institute of Sport, have to give him a shout out. He's the absolute best. Nathan, there's this thing called Zwift. And I think there's a couple of other different programs you can do, but it's a bike session and it's connected to a TV. And so it's like kind of like a video game. And you can race other people and you have different programs. And so it's a challenge. It, it definitely tapped into my competitive nature. I got a road bike. So I try and go for a bike ride. Strongly encouraged by Christy Wallace and my other really good friend, Izzy Chilcott, to get a road bike. And um, we made a, a peloton, <laughs> a three-person peloton. But, yeah, that was, I guess, their way of kind of encouraging me and being there for me throughout rehab. So I try and go for a bike ride along Beach Road in Brighton once a week. I'm still going to do that because it's so good for my mental health. Um, and then I love the assault bike. So I feel like that's the closest thing I can get to running because it's arms and legs at the same time and it's exhausting. But yeah, that would be the mo- main forms. And then just, you know, when I was initially starting the weight sessions in the gym, I'd be in there for two hours, two and a half hours every day, which definitely helped my anaerobic capacity lifting that heavy weight that often. Not every day you hear someone say that they love the assault bike. Well, it's a love-hate relationship. I don't think anyone could love that thing. It sucks, but it's um, I love it because it is the closest thing I find to that on-court fitness. Yeah, and it's and the point you make about changing direction is so underrated, but also the change of pace in basketball. There's so much stop starting, and like you said, going from you know a passive movement to making a hard cut. The other thing I always forgot to account for when I returned to playing years ago was the physicality like people don't really account for banging bodies for a rebound a box out um a seal that stuff makes uh really tired as well so like you said that there's nothing that can really replace on court training 
Yeah, absolutely not. And how I've started my return to scrimmaging, I was playing one-on-one against my partner who's six foot eight, but he's retired. He's been retired for a couple of years. So he's not as, you know, the last time we played one-on-one, he scored 15 points and I scored zero and I left the stadium crying. (laughs) That was a couple of years ago. And since then, he's my trainer as well. So, yeah, he's amazing. And like Sammy Mack is for LJ. So he's taught me all of these, you know, the new stuff, the the up-to-date skills and techniques and lots of change of pace, lots of change of direction in those one-on-one moves. And, you know, he said I'm playing better one-on-one then than I was three years ago. So that definitely gives me hope that there's, you know, still more I can do with basketball. But, yeah, playing against a six-foot-eight, strong guy and then um i've also been going to the under 18 state development program big boys practices and that has been so much fun um they're so quick athletic and it's kind of given me they're so competitive as well and it's definitely i have my work cut out for me trying to go up against them so super grateful for that opportunity as well gosh they must uh i hope they kind of get a little bit nervous when they see the opals captain (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the first session you know, if anyone has ever seen me play or train, I'm just talking the whole time. So I was like that. And I was so excited to finally be training. So I was really talking the whole time. And what I was lacking in my physical capabilities, I was definitely trying to make up with my voice. So it's so much fun being out there with them. Okay. So Tess, I really want to thank you so much for your time, talking to us about she hoops, talking to us about, you know, coming up to Sydney, what's coming down the line for you as well, and the future of the program. So we're really looking forward to seeing you up playing up here in Sydney as well and just really love to thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. Great. Thanks so much, Tess. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.